Locked on NBA Thursday edition, Ben Golliver, David Locke along with you. I have no April Fool's jokes up my sleeve, but I will admit, Ben Golliver, when I was a talk show host, this was my favorite day of the year, and we pulled off some all-timers. Well, you got to imagine that the risk-reward calculus is a little bit different this year, right? I mean, I saw a whole lot of people lined up on Twitter this morning ready to just kind of uh, draw and quarter anybody who tried to play the uh, tried to play the April Fool's game. But what was your favorite prank that you guys ever did? Uh, well, my probably favorite one is we made up a whole story about a kid whose dad wouldn't let him play Little League for a pizza sponsorship because the pizza at the place wasn't that good, and his son's brand at 11 years old couldn't be damaged by being associated with this inferior pizza house. <laughs> and we had a the, we had a buddy of mine who was the dad and another buddy of mine who came on who was the pizza owner, and then the other guy was the commissioner of the Little League who basically tried to imply that this dad was the biggest SOB ever. And then we took phone calls. It was that was that was a pretty good one. Uh, the other well, that's 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 perfect though because you have to have it have a sliver of truth to it, right? And everybody knows that dad or or that right. parent, that Little League parent, and just take it to the the max. I mean, one I was watching today was Mark Cuban fighting with the fake official on the court and like even his coaching staff was like oh my god what's he doing there's like pushing and shoving involved and people are like holding cuban back and finally he reveals it's uh it's all a prank that one even got me i'm usually pretty cynical and uh and uh you know not really finding too much fun in these kinds of things but uh that one i had me double checking to to realize it was a fake referee because we've seen cuban's antics over the years so many times the other one we did that you probably all aspects of this could never be done again so this is about I would guess, let's see, I graduated college in 92. So this is probably 95 or so, 96. And we literally got the athletic director of the U of U in of University of Utah in on it. We got an assistant coach at the U of U in on it. We got somebody at BYU in on it. We got a guy who did an impression of Rick Majerus's voice. And we did a whole story that the BYU head coach had had to retire for health reasons and that the oh head, and that Utah's head coach Rick Majerus had decided he had such admiration for the Mormon faith that he was going to go coach at BYU and leave Utah, <laughs> and we did this whole thing. So like, and we set everyone up. I mean, we had it. Well, the only part of it that was like a bummer was that this guy who we used to work with, who was kind of like the icon of sports radio in Utah. And he'd been around for a long time. And a lot of us had worked for him before, but we'd split off. And now he was kind of on his island and we were kind of kicking his ass. And it was like, you know, it was like it was over for him. But like, he's such a great guy. You didn't like you understand what I'm saying, right? Like we could hire everyone and we left him. And and well, he starts reporting it that it's true. So one of our interns runs in and's like, I don't want to say his name. He's passed now, but, uh, you know, he's reporting it. And I was like, no. And and so I was the program director. So I killed the story. Like, I was like, no, we're not doing the rest of it. And I picked up the phone and called their station and said, hey, let him know that this is actually not true. And 
it was all a gimmick and like we you know and th- every aspect of that is different than today right like there's no way an ad or somebody else would be in on the joke there's no way we could do an impression of a head coach and get away with it and there's no way if a, if one of our opponents or competitors screwed it up we'd ever be like have a conciliatory relationship good enough that we would actually like stop it and try to protect them there's no aspect of that that exists 15 years later well, for sure. And just the tensions between those programs, I imagine, are probably in a different place, too. I mean, that's a big-time rivalry. I mean, what would you consider that for people outside the state? I mean, that's on the level of, what, you know, Ohio State, uh, Michigan, or, or UCLA, USC, something like that? So I don't think it's on those levels in the sense that they've ever played a game for that kind of stuff that those programs have played for. But the uniqueness uh, and the overtones to that rivalry make it as fierce as any rivalry in college sports. <laughs> that's a devious one, man. That's, that's pretty bad. And you definitely couldn't be joking about people's health in, in nowadays. Right, you know, that's another right, thing too. Right. It's like, that, that would get you probably fired, frankly. <laughs> yeah. I, we might've even had the B. I mean, we had like, every, we worked on that one for like, I don't know. Anyway, I loved April from, a, you know, there's an old radio guy named Phil Hendry. You ever heard of him? I think he might have a podcast now. And I haven't. So he was in LA when I was going to college in LA and he used to do a show, which basically every night was an April fool's joke. And (laughs) he was able to do various things with voices and he would interview himself. Um, and I, I'm trying to look up the details of it. So his, his name's Phil Henry and he would, he would interview himself, but say these like outrageous, crazy things, like anything that maybe never mind um, is being said by someone we've elected. And but he would say them in the interview. And at that time, they were crazy. And so he and then he would have guests on and he would like be that voice also. So he would be multiple voices. And then he'd start taking calls for the guests on the show. It was I mean, this guy is an all-time genius, and I used to listen to the show every day in college. Like, I mean, I like I love I got this guy's like he's a, so all my April Fool's jokes stemmed off this guy who was in L.A. building a show in in when I like in he he, he and my, I, I mean I went to college in '92, so I'm gonna guess he just started right around then. But he's look him up; he's incredible. Well, that's a nice little tribute that you were doing all the years to, to his influence. This was not the year, especially in Utah, to be doing any April, April Fool's jokes, though, too, right? I mean, just with the stuff that you guys went through with the Utah Jazz, I'm sure there was not uh, too many people in a light, laughing mood uh, after everything. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's – I don't think this – you know, the, the irony is, right, that this is the landscape where everyone needs an April Fool's joke. Um, like I found myself, I'm not a TikToker, and I was trying to figure out TikTok and figure out if there were things too. And there's a thing going on on TikTok right now. We will get to basketball people, uh, but this is probably fine because this is comedy. We're not at least talking about it. So there's a thing on TikTok where it's the quarantined kids with their parents playing practical jokes on their parents, and it's well, I'm it's, I'm all in on that. It's that hysterical. Wonderful. And I sat there and was like watching this. Like I like realized I'd like spent an hour of my night like flipping through these. It was so enjoyable. Like it was absolutely, <laughs> totally. I, that's what I needed, right? Like I like so. I think there's something to all. Like I'm gonna go find old Phil Henry and listen to him tonight. It's gonna be great. 
All right. Yeah, you're talking. It's like an antidote. Well, I just feel honored that you you've ripped yourself away from an all night TikTok viewing to talk hoops with me. That's right. It's just, you know, it's such a pleasure and a and a, an honor. Like I said. Well, I can't wait till I see you and your nature pictures on TikTok doing dances out in nature, like your <laughs> usual Instagram. Um, uh, I had a I could have had a Ben Golliver post today. I climbed to the top of the PC in Park City today for my walk, so I could have posted this beautiful scenic shot of quiet Park City, Utah today. Uh, follow Ben on Instagram. You'd understand what I'm talking about. Speaking of Instagram, Austin, our new source, Austin Rivers just went on Instagram live and said all sorts of things. Um, what did what did Austin Rivers have to say? He did. So this is all coming from a, a user who's sort of like, uh, I don't know, transcribed basically essentially the conversation. But it's uh, coming from Justin Russo, fly by night on Twitter. Uh, he, he's a you know, he covers the the Clippers on a pretty regular basis, and he was saying that Austin Rivers was laying out some details about how the playoffs could potentially work if they're going to do this delayed and kind of truncated version of the playoffs. And you know, right after the NBA suspended the schedule, I was going through the mental uh, you know game plan of like how would you do it, right? And obviously, the playoffs are such a big deal. You can't have the traveling aspect. You might not be able to have four rounds of seven games, you know, best of seven series. Um, you probably have to do it in a single site location and you might have to have that single site kind of quarantine friendly, right? So that there's not a lot of people going in and out. And then of course you probably can't have fans because, you know, ultimately there's a huge safety risk there. So what we're finding out from Austin Rivers' Instagram is that the NBA is on kind of a similar page. It sounds like at least one of the proposals they've discussed would be, um, you know, this would, the playoffs would potentially take place in Las Vegas you know, at the UNLV campus, they've got the Thomas and Mack and the Cox Center uh, or Pavilion that are right next door to each other. So there's two courts um, in one building so you could run multiple games simultaneously. Um, and then also, you know, potentially he was saying that uh, the first couple of rounds of the playoffs, rather than being a best of seven, might be truncated to a best of three. And then there was also some speculation that maybe the ramp-up time before the playoffs would be something like two practices. And I know that's a real touchy subject for players right now who are completely thrown off their routines about how much time are they going to get to kind of reintegrate into basketball before they have to play with the season on the line. Um, so that is at least one proposal that's been kind of floating out there, uh, according to Austin Rivers. Now, is he getting his information from media reports? Is he getting his information from someone within the league? Uh, that we don't know. But I guess just in general with that proposal, Locke, do you like it? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Who does it favor? Who does it disadvantage? What do you think? All right, let's dig into that. We'll do that. We'll continue here on uh, Locked On NBA with Ben Golliver, Washington Post national writer, and try to – there's so many pieces of that. Try to grasp all of it. We'll do that uh, as we continue here on Locked On NBA. Make sure you grab Chad Ford's latest. Chad Ford is back after a two-year hiatus. And his podcast is Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. So subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify and get the latest on Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. Postmates is here for you. That's right. You can do Postmates and Locked on NBA is a special deal for you. Locked on NBA at, on your code. You get $100 of free delivery with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. 
Postmates has always been great for you because it can be a burger, it can be sushi, it can be beer late at night, and now it's even better because you know you can stay home and you're not making the late-night food runs or you're not making trips to the store. It is all there for you. It is Postmates. From an early morning burrito to, well, that 12-pack of beer when you want to watch... A movie. It used to be to watch a ball game, but those don't exist right now. So if you love food, you'll love Postmates, the delivery food from every restaurant you can think of, helping the local restaurants as well. Postmates, download the app today and $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days to start your free deliveries. Download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA. All right, so many aspects to the Austin River stories to dig into, Ben. Let's start with the first part. I think it's it's becoming a, it's abundantly clear that the idea of playing games again, traveling from town to town is is off. Toronto saying no gatherings till June 30th. I don't know when this would even begin from the NBA standpoint, but that seems to me that that's becoming clear that that's not going to take place. Do you, we we can agree with that? I'm on I'm on board with that too because look, if you need 2 months to play the playoffs and those two months are at the latest possible dates, July and August. I don't see any scenario where the coronavirus crisis is under control enough at that point that you can have guys crisscrossing the country back and forth with home court advantage and all that, and potentially with international travel, like you're saying, with the Raptors too. And that just, to me, it just doesn't pass the smell test. It doesn't sound possible, and I don't think I'm being overly pessimistic, uh, pessimistic about that. When you're looking at these growth curves and how it's still accelerating, Things haven't slowed down. You know, other parts of the country have yet to really been hit and, and they're expected to be hit. I don't know how this thing is, you know, under control by July to, to that point. So I think it has to be a single site personally. All right, so let's go to what the NBA has already done. They put on the G League showcase December 19th through the 22nd in Las Vegas. It had 28 games over four days. It had 30 teams. They had over 200 players. It was no fans. It was in in scouting only. They televised it to Facebook Live, to ESPNU, to ESPN Plus, to NBA TV. I actually think that a little bit of what Austin River there's a there's a probably my feeling on Austin Rivers is there's a there's some truth to it all, but I actually think he's kind of like off on a bunch of aspects to it. Um one, I don't think Thomas and Mack and Cox work. Why would you do that if you're not going to have fans? Would you play an arena? Play at Mandalay Bay and put the courts down in a ballroom or however they did it before so that it actually looks more intimate on television. There's no, They don't need to play in an arena. Yeah, I mean, the Cox gym there in UNLV is pretty small, but you're right. The Thomas and Mac is actually pretty cavernous, and it would be weird. I mean, I wouldn't want to shoot on that empty gym just because there's so many seats behind it. It would start to feel like a wave, and it might even be a little bit disorienting. I mean, I'm sure guys would adjust, but you're right. You don't need the college-sized, UNLV-sized gym. Um, you know, there's been other discussions about could you do it at a practice facility? Um, could you do it at, you know, a smaller, like even a high school gym or something like that where, you know, at least you have the NBA dimensions, but you don't have – you know, the, the gigantic um, you know, atmosphere around it. I do think you can sacrifice all of that because ultimately the only people you need to cater to are the two teams, the referees, probably a small media contingent, some NBA uh, officials, right, and team officials, and that's about it. So, you know, that doesn't need to be feeding more than 100 people. So what they did is, we, as we said, they played seven games a day. 
They played a game at noon, a game at 2.30. They then they then uh, moved them so that one played, they played two, one game at noon, one at 12.30, one at 2.30, 3.35, 6, and 7.30. They could probably get in more, right? If they had to, they could get in eight games, maybe even 10 games a day on a certain day. Play it on two courts. They'd have television on all day long. It would be, and I, I think from what I've read, each team needs to get to about 72 games or something like that for the regional sports network. Um, and so I think you, you can do that for a week or two and get everybody five, five games in. And then you've got, then you've got yourself set up for a playoff system. Okay. So you're still, you're still wanting to reach those benchmarks for the regular season with that strategy. And then I presume once you get to the playoffs, you would scale things back, so you would have probably what, like at the most, probably four games per day. So I don't, like do the the four. I don't know if you have. First of all, you. I think you've got to play those regular season games because I think you have to get to X amount of games for your regional sports networks, or else you're paying. Right. You owe them a lot of money. So I think there's some aspect there. Um, then I thought John Hollinger had a really interesting point. Um, you mentioned it both on Hollinger and Duncan podcast, uh, which you can get on Spotify and iTunes and every place else. And he also mentioned it in his article in The Athletic. If you're going to ask teams to come back for five games, do you have to play some sort of 30-team playoff bracket to get those teams to be engaged? Yeah, I mean, that's I go the other way on this one. I say just forget about the rest of the regular season. I understand there's a financial hit. To me, the priority should just be the playoffs. You've got so many teams out there like, yeah, they're not going to have any incentive. Their guys are probably thinking our season's over at this point. If you're a lottery team, what's the point? I think the quality of play in those games would be pretty rough. And then I'm also just kind of worried about the quality control aspect in general, right? Like the playoffs need to at least look good on TV, you know, to, to have that kind of credibility that built in, um, you know, excitement factor that everybody has for these playoffs. If this winds up kind of feeling like um, half measures or, or slapped together uh, or doesn't really have that the full power of what you would expect from an NBA playoffs, I would actually almost feel bad for the winner because I, you're almost setting them up to have the asterisk kind of hanging over them, and you wouldn't want that either. So, I mean, to me, I, I don't know about the 30-team tournament idea, um, and I don't even know about playing the rest of the regular season. I mean, I guess if, if I was in charge, my main goal would be to determine, do I want a 16-team play, playoff or do I want an 18-team playoff? And then how quickly can I get it done safely? That would be my number one priority, rather than trying to appease all these other smaller things secondarily. But I get that they're trying to do a, a huge juggling act. It's interesting. When you go to best of um, three, I, 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 I feel like you've now you're kind of your quality control items out. Best of five, oh. I feel like you probably got the best teams winning. Best of three, I'm no sh- not sure the best teams are winning anymore. I was going to bring that up when you were saying, you know, who, like, who are the winners and who are the losers of this proposal. If you're a favorite and you worked all season long to be a one seed and now your first-round playoff series is three games, and if you have two ugly nights coming out of the gate because you only had a couple practices to get ready, that's not fair. And that's not representative of your body of work for the last six months. And so if there were to be an upset in that kind of a scenario – I would call into question kind of the entire endeavor. I don't think it would be representative of what the NBA is kind of all about, right? So to me, I would almost be in favor of, hey, just kill the whole entire first round completely and just say the top four seeds from each playoff get in. Now let's play best of seven series. That's how I would resolve it rather than trying to go to the truncated route of best of three or best of five. But, but come on. 
you're all over the place. I love you, but you're all over the place. Like you want quality control, but then you're telling me that the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Houston Rockets don't make the playoffs? I'm saying drastic times demand drastic measures, and I think you should try to have your playoff format be as similar as it is usually. If you play four full rounds of best of seven, that is going to take two full months, right? If you if you chop out one of those rounds, it's six weeks, and that seems a little bit more manageable. And that's why I would get rid of the rest of the regular season, too, because those extra days that are accumulating in the front, those could potentially be practice days uh, for the teams that have a shot. Now, there's no ideal situation here. And with whether any of this happens is completely speculative. I mean, it's quite possible that even with all these restrictions that we're describing, it's not going to be safe and, and possible to squeeze it in this summer. Um, you look at already a bunch of events that are being canceled for the summer, whether it's the Olympics, uh, which we're going to push all the way into August. I mean, that should tell you something as well about uh, what decision makers timelines think are, are prudent here. Um, so I don't know. I think that having three full rounds of the playoffs would be better than having four partial rounds. Uh, but these are tough, tough calls. Like, I take it you want to go the other way. I, I don't. I just didn't feel like Houston, and Oklahoma City, and Indiana, and some of these teams are pretty good. And to suddenly tell them that they've played all season long to try to make eight teams making the playoffs, and then change that on drastic measures, I got it. But Philadelphia like doesn't even make the playoffs. Feels well, like, I'm not going to cry for Philadelphia, I mean, but I hear you on Houston for sure. Uh, but, but I mean, yeah, I'd even I, say like Den- not a, like Denver, even Dallas, who's 40 and 27. You're playing games differently. Um, you know, like you wouldn't have rested somewhere somewhere along the way. I just think you, I think it's information that you can't grab, you can't do to them at this point in time. That's, okay, so so would you prefer the best of five if you went best of five I for the think, first two rounds of the playoffs? Does does that pass your quality control check? I think best of five. Uh, my idea would be best of five for the first two, and then best of seven for the final two rounds. Yeah. I don't know if you can do it. I don't know yeah. the timing. This is the thing. All right, there's two questions that are not answered here. Ben and I will get to them uh, as we continue here on Locked On NBA. We still bring it to you, Anthony, and uh, Adam will be with you tomorrow for the Friday edition of Locked On NBA as we keep uh, bringing you Locked On NBA and uh, and and the big, you know, the big deal Friday. We'll have to, well, geez, I, I forgot the biggest thing of the day. I haven't asked Ben about this for for what's coming up on Friday. But first, we'll take a quick break, come back with more on Locked On NBA. All right, here are the two biggest questions we haven't asked. Uh, one is, are the players willing to be quarantined? Now, uh, 25% of their salary might say yes, but if you're an NBA player and you're told you have to be quarantined, you can't have family, you can't have anyone else there, are you willing to do it? Well, I'm telling you, I'm a lot more willing to do it if I'm on one of the top contenders or I'm on a playoff team than if I'm on a lottery team. Like, you know, that's why I go back to the regular season thing. Like, if they want me to go hang out in Vegas for a month just so I can play five meaningless games, I'm not faking an injury, but I'm not exactly excited to report for duty. You know <laughs> you know what I mean? And we know all the teams who would be, you know, signing up for the quarantine process, the Lakers, the Bucks, the Clippers, you know, the, the veteran-dominated teams that are trying to win titles right now. I mean, I think that there would be a high motivation to do it, and it's like whatever the stakes are, whatever the, the structure of this thing is, let's, let's sign up and do it. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that your opinion changes based on where your team is in the standings and uh, what your likelihood of, of winning this whole thing is. And, I mean, I think we should be you know, very upfront about the risk factors here with, uh, you know, w- with this proposal. It's like anytime you're having people travel to get to that area, there is risk. You probably have to put them through a quarantine period once they're there 
to kind of clear them. We've seen some foreign leagues do that, where basically players who are coming from America and going to China have to sit out for 14 days and, and basically prove that they're healthy. You're going to probably have to do regular temperature checks to make sure these guys are staying healthy. You're probably limiting their their um, ability to kind of do anything after games to unwind or to go out uh, because that would be a risk factor. I mean, it almost turns into, uh, you know, basketball isolation. And, and maybe some guys would prefer that than, than uh, having isolation with no basketball. But, yeah, it's a, it's a really big ask. And I, I even wonder, like, zooming ahead, if you look to, say, like, drafting the next dream team next summer, right, where who, who's going to want to go and play overseas for six weeks um, and, and go through that entire process when maybe some of these fears are still, still lingering, even if the tournament is on, uh, and the Olympics go ahead, I think there's going to be some real hesitation from guys who are saying, hey, this isn't the right year to do this. Like, this is still a little bit too uncomfortable of a situation. And so I think the recruitment process for USA basketball got more difficult. And that's 12 months from now, let alone the NBA's job of trying to put this thing on here in a couple months. I mean, I think it's, hey, we're talking about the hypothetical that's been mentioned by a bunch of people, never mentioned by the league uh, that we're aware of. I mean, and the reason is because there seems to be so few options that this is the one that seems like it makes um, the most sense. All right. My gosh, I forgot to ask you about the biggest event in the NBA. <laughs> Bring it on. I'm so excited. I'm I mean, on pins and needles. I have no idea what Kevin it is. Kevin Durant as the top seed can oh. <laughs> hold on? Or do you think like Harrison Bo- and beat Derek Jones Jr.? I mean, what about... Like Donovan Mitchell against Rui Hashimura with all of the Japanese, the entire Japanese uh, population rooting against Donovan Mitchell. Like these are major, major well, matchups in the first ever NBA players head-to-head NBA 2K players tournament that happens tomorrow. Well, look, God bless him. I mean, I think it's it's a creative solution. Obviously, there's a lot of guys into it, but Locke, I can't even wrap my mind around some of the hypotheticals we're talking about with real basketball, let alone the hypotheticals of video game basketball or fantasy basketball or any of this stuff. You know, I always kind of joke that I'm like a reality-based person. I'm, I'm kind of a blunt, you know, just a facts type of guy. And, you know, the prospect of sitting and watching players play video games as themselves and then somehow covering that as a media member, um, I'm not saying it makes my blood boil, but it, it more like it makes my brain explode. Like, how did we get here as a society? It's just too much for me to even contemplate. Wait a sec. I've been watching the Madden Checkdown Tournament, and it's been awesome. Really? Well, it do you actually, play Madden? Or is so it just I did for, play Madden when I was viewer? a kid, but it was actually like, so I watched the Jarvis Landry versus, I don't even know his name, uh, defensive back for the Houston Titans. The Houston Texans. Um, it was great. It actually was great. You had the game going on. You had two NBA, two NFL players that were in their little boxes on the screen, talking trash to each other. You like Jarvis Landry's getting it to Odell Beckham, giving it, yeah, playmakers make plays and all having a blast. Um, they've had 13 million views of it on Twitch. They've had thir- they have thirteen thousand as we I just checked right now. They have a game going on right now between Keenan Allen and Derwin James. I don't, they have thirteen thousand people viewing it. I think people are hungry for it, but I actually think what's better about it, and I think it will stay and last forever, is it in a day and age where we have so many controlled uh, views of our athletes, we don't get to see them being themselves. This was watching NFL players 
gaming being themselves. They were totally being themselves. And I thought it was really pure and kind of awesome. I'm going to chalk this up to you having Generation Z children so that you're a little bit younger my at kids heart don't video. than I am. But... My, kids don't, my kids don't play. My daughter, oh, really? does, it. My daughter yeah, my... does a tiny bit. Um, and she's definitely the modern kid in the sense that like, she's a huge NBA fan who may have never watched a game all year other than maybe a few jazz games where she, but she gets it all on Instagram and house of highlights and knows every player in the league. Um, so she's certainly that modern fan at 15 years old. Um, but no, I, I actually thought, I just thought it was great. He, yeah. My baby brother likes to watch video game tournaments. He's really into it. He's gone to some in person and everything. And it's always confused me. And he's just said, look, you just don't get it, man. Like it, there's not really that much of a difference between watching these high level video game players and watching professional athletes like it's it's a competition just by a different sort i guess that the the trick here is that not every professional athlete is also a professional video game player right so there's probably going to be uh some guys getting exposed maybe that could be fun too it's like which guy's the most overrated compared like you know being on the court versus on the sticks like who has the biggest gap there that could be a fun conversation yeah i act Here's my general take of what I think's wrong with where we are in sports media and um, in sports media. Teams, uh, frankly, I thought led largely by Oklahoma City, uh, have gotten to this point where they, quote-unquote, protect their players and control all of their interactions. It's hard to talk to them in a locker room anymore. You know, now with Corona, we, didn't, we stopped doing it, but we'll see what happens in the future. You know, only certain players used to go to shoot around. You'd walk across the gym and go talk to a player. I get it. I understand why teams do it. But I actually think it's a great disservice because I've interacted with most of the guys in the league, all of our guys. They're almost all great. Like, I almost never have a bad experience. I find them interesting. They're trying to be the best of the world at a craft. Some of them are more schooled than others, so maybe they express themselves differently. But if you actually listen to what's being said, and you, they're great. And I think the more we can do where our players are allowed to show who they are will be better. And I actually think all media coverage would be better if, they, if we could have that 1990s interaction with them because I do think that at times the media is a little overly w- willing to throw somebody under the bus and kind of be holier than thou. And if you actually knew the guy, you'd be a little more hesitant to do it, and I think it'd be better for everyone involved. So that's yeah, I mean, a side Our, our note, discourse but... has gotten fairly caustic. I hear you on that. Well, let me take this to the next level, okay, because I just got this email while we were chatting. They have betting odds on these players, okay? So Devin Booker is the favorite at 7-2. to two. Kevin Durant's number two at 4-1. to one. DeAndre Ayton's at 6-1. to one. Trey Young is at eight to one, and then Donovan Mitchell, Utah's own, is at nine to one. So those are your top five favorites. Do you have a favorite to win the tournament? Do you have a, a, a five star lock to hand out for the That's NBA right. 2K tournament? Um, I, I don't know. Well, I would I would think that Durant <laughs> has had the hot, most opportunity to play. Right, like well, aim, aim too. I mean, he had a twenty-five yeah. game suspension, so he's had some options. And Demar- as well. and Demarcus Cousins and Michael Porter Jr. is the youngest of the group with two years of not playing. Like I'm going, I if I'm making bets, I'm saying in, days injured correlates to better gaming. 
It's very possible. I mean, it's tricky to know with Booker because apparently he's really good at video games. I've been hearing that. Like, I don't know if it's Call of Duty or one of those games. Like, he's actually really, really, really good. So I don't know if he's a multi-sport star in video games. You know, if, if his skills translate from uh, game to game, that could help. But that's probably why he got the favorite tag because his, his reputation precedes him a little bit. All right, I got to ask you one last question uh, on this uh... So last week we talked about the crazy six hours streaming I was going to do. And uh, we did do the streaming and it was really cool. And, um, you know, some of it was a bust and some of it was great. Mark Eaton came on and talked about a game he was watching and that was cool. And then in the final six minutes of the Jazz against the Houston Rockets game from uh, game six of the 97 Western Conference Finals, Jeff Hornacek joined me to rewatch the game together. Now, I've known oh Jeff for a long time, and, you know, had, he was an assistant with the Jazz. I had dinner. You know, like, we're friends. I don't know if we're friends, but, like, okay, whatever. I got to be honest. Like, I grew up a Jazz fan, too, so that's part of it. And I was a media member. I was at that game as a media member. Uh, it was like I, I finished. I was, like, on cloud nine. It was one of the coolest things <laughs> I'd done. I was so geeked up about it. So what are the moments? Give me a moment here. End this on a happy moment of like the, the little kid in you, Ben Golliver. Was it a Portland Trailblazer little kid watching all the time? Who was your team? What, what is your little kid moment you've had since being in the business where the kid in you kind of still popped out? Well, first of all, I would way rather see that content. You and Jeff Hornacek talking, you know, classic NBA games. I'm all in on that. I'll put that above the NBA 2K tournament. I'm not even just stroking your ego here. I mean that genuinely. Like, that is the stuff that I'm looking for. And I've been watching a bunch of classic games here the last week, whether it's, like, old Bulls games or whatever else. Uh, that has, you know, I'm finally kind of out of the denial phase of, you know, there's no new basketball. And that's just been endlessly entertaining just to see how the games are covered differently 20 years ago and, and so on. To me, when you asked me to prepare for this question, my mind went to this past All-Star weekend. And the reason why I thought of it was because I wasn't the only person who felt like a kid. I'm not sure if you remember uh, Barack Obama, the president, former president, came and did some community well, service I've, stuff. I've, with... th I've thought of him a few times recently, if you were wondering. Okay. <laughs> for sure. Uh, he came to do some community service with NBA rookies like Trey Young, Zion Williamson, and so forth. And... I mean, for me, it's only the second time I've ever seen him in person. The previous time was at a Duke basketball game. But this was the first time really getting to see him work a room. And every single person in the room, including the kids, but also hardened adults and, you know, longtime PR pros, a longtime journalist, just left with like a gigantic smile on their face because he has this very disarming charm of making whoever he's talking to feel like they're in the center of the room. And to watch him do that with person after person and cracking these inside basketball jokes, kind of buttering up Zion a little bit, it was incredible. And I've got video of Zion and Trey Young sort of just describing in the immediate aftermath of meeting Obama. And their smiles are so genuine. It's like it's just ear-to-ear -ear smiles from both those guys. And you can even hear in the tone of some of the questions that the, uh, the writers are asking and the reporters are asking that they've got ear-to-ear -to -ear smiles, too, because it was just, um, you know, that sort of environment. And, look, like the community service stuff, that's usually a dog and pony show that nobody cares about, right? It's like, eh, kind of whatever. Um, but he just walked into that room and just kind of completely owned it. And I know it's a little bit uh, maybe you know, different than what you might have been expecting. But for me, when I look back at kind of like a tortured 2019-20 season, um, 
that stands out as like, if not the number one highlight, then way up at the top, just for how pure his love of basketball was, his impact on everybody around him. And just like everybody kind of needed that, you know, at that moment, uh, you know, not too long after Kobe Bryant's death and, and everything else. So to me, that was the moment where, you know, I'm sure if there was video of me, I'm probably looking like a little kid like you're describing. All right. So if you have listened to this podcast today, go play a prank on your parents or get pranked by someone who's younger than you. Go listen to Phil Hendry's podcast. This was our free and find something out there that makes you feel like a kid again. Uh, Ben Golliver, thanks very much for the time. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. We're effortlessly pivoting into life advice. It's that, working great that's, for us. Yeah, don't follow mine. That is Ben Golliver <laughs> rejecting the screen. Has Sean Arian in. I, by the way, if you have not heard rejecting the screen yet with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko and listen to their kind of deep ice, they, they call it going ISO and they long form with these guys, they are getting the greatest stories. So you should make sure you add it to your uh, list of things, Ben, because I know you don't have enough podcasts to listen to. Actually, you do all of them, so you have plenty of time to listen. In the meantime, tell your smart device right now to follow podcast. Or tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Podcast Rejecting the Screen.